I'm sure many of you remember as children the crazy things that you would say or that other kids would say to you. I've heard uh, my daughter Alyssa tell uh, little Michael over and over again that girls go to college to get more knowledge and girls, boys go to Jupiter to get more stupider. And of course, that's one of those things that little kids just, they say things like that to each other. Well, this past week, Michael and I were enjoying a conversation as we debated who loved the other one more. I said that I loved him to the moon and back, and he very quickly retorted that he loved me to the moon and then to the sun and back. And I responded, well, I love you to Jupiter and back. And he simply responded, well, that's nothing. I love you to college and back. What that told me, by the way, how do you respond to a kid who he's got it figured out already? Uh, What that told me is kids are watching and they are listening. They are paying attention to everything that is said, everything that goes on around them. Kids are very, very much aware of what's happening. We need to ask ourselves the question, what are we teaching our children? This question can be answered in so many different ways, yet the most important application of this question must come from Scripture. Look with me, if you would, at Colossians chapter 3. You're going to see it, I think, on the screen behind me. I will tell you, it's a bit of a long passage, but in light of much of the turmoil which we have seen over the past couple weeks, it is incredibly important that we be aware of what the Scripture says. Again, this is in Colossians chapter 3, and it's 17 verses. We'll begin in verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears... Then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, Rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. 
Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that you would apply the word that has been read to our hearts, that each of us might be challenged and changed by the reading of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tony Campolo once said, Love the sinner and hate your own sin. He was pointing out that far too many of us are filled with hatred for sins that other people commit. Yet we have ignored the sins that take place in our own lives. We have become outspoken when we see others fail inside the church or outside. We become activists in the middle of racial tensions, senseless acts of murder, or pastors being removed. And by the way, this is not an indictment on social activism. Scripture clearly teaches us that we cannot sit back and ignore the needs of our society. Yet we also must be certain that we are not merely standing up because we have a soapbox. Instead, we must stand up for Christ regardless of what is going on around us. We must be aware of the value and importance of having our minds fixed on things above rather than on things below. The reality is that our world is surrounded by racism today. We shouldn't ignore the presence of it. The fact is it takes place. It takes place on both sides. Those who are African-American toward those who are white. Those who are white toward African-American. And typically toward those who are Hispanic. Unfortunately, both African-American and white tend to be racist. The reality is racism takes place all around us. And we should not ignore it. However... We also should not only speak up when there is an issue that arises. For Jesus Christ is the thing we ought to stand up for all of the time. That passage began this morning with the words, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. I wonder what our hearts have been set upon. For some of us, it's politics. We all know that person who is so familiar with politics and so strong in their opinions regarding politics that it's just an unwritten rule that we don't talk politics with that individual. Again, there's nothing wrong with being knowledgeable about politics. But if you're more passionate about politics than you are about the Word of God, something is wrong. I admit there are times that when I get around that individual who knows all this information about politics and I know that they'll get riled up, sometimes I can be an agitator. And I will intentionally bring up something just to get their reaction. I wonder if we ever truly became as passionate about God's word as we do against, about things like politics. For others, it's sports. And I admit it, at times, this has been my weakness. I can become so fixated on stats or personnel. I can even critique their game plan and tell you what I think they need to do to win. And I can speak so confidently in what I think that you might think I was actually in the locker room 
or that I had a vested interest in the game. But if I'm more passionate about the game than I am about Jesus Christ, then something is wrong. There are so many things that we could include in this discussion. Some of them are good things that we're just focused on too much. Other things are things that are bad for us from the very beginning. But the point is that we need to focus on eternity rather than on the temporary. Verse 3 talks about the change that Christ has made in you. And I love this. It says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This suggests that this turning from the temporary to the eternal is a natural part of us turning to Christ. In other words, as you seek the Lord, those temporary things, they they seem to diminish in importance to you. It's not that they disappear. It's not that they're not surrounding us still, but our focus is not necessarily on those things anymore. Now that your life is hidden in Christ, he is the one who becomes your passion. He is the thing that drives you. He's the reason why you get up in the morning. He's the one you want to talk about when you get on the internet with other people. He's the one that you want to display in your workplace, that you want to share with other people. He is the one who drives everything about you. At this point in our passage, Paul breaks into a list of do's and don'ts. And of course, we get caught up in the don'ts quite easily. In fact, to begin with, that's all he has is don'ts. In fact, he has two lists of don'ts that we need to be aware of. He says, these are the things you shouldn't do. They have no place in your life as a child of God. He says, sexual immorality, it shouldn't be there. Impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, and he even calls greed idolatry. Then he skips down in verses 8 and 9. He adds a few more of the thou thou shall nots. To the list, he adds anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, and then even lying. That's a whole lot of stuff that we're not supposed to do anymore. And it might be easy to perceive Paul as somewhat of a downer, at least at this portion of the passage. It certainly seems as if he's just trying to tell us that we can't do any of the things that we seem to enjoy, some of the things that seem so natural to us when we were caught up in a sinful lifestyle. But he isn't necessarily trying to keep us from having fun, even though it kind of looks that way. You know, at times when you were growing up, you thought maybe your parents were just trying to keep you from having fun. All the things that you really weren't, uh, you really enjoyed doing, you weren't allowed to do. And you thought, well, that's just because they're sticking to muds. They're they're individuals. They they don't know how to enjoy life. They don't understand that we just want to have fun and we want to enjoy things. God never desired for his people not to have fun. But he recognized that there were things that when they participated in them, there were consequences. God simply desired the best for his people. He wanted them to enjoy life. I've looked at the, the Old, Testament, Old Testament commandments. There are so many things that God put in place that to them it just looked like a list of do's and don'ts. But often God's law was intended to protect the people more than anything else. To protect the name of Christ. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That was because he wanted them to worship him and him alone. He knew that there were other gods that were available, these false gods. But how much good could they do? They were false. They weren't real. 
If you're going to invest your time in something, invest in something that matters. Worship the one true living God, the only one who can actually change your circumstances. Some of the food restrictions that God put on his people, it wasn't because God didn't like those particular foods. It was because there were health benefits to the Israelites to do things his way. If you found an animal dead on the side of the road, you were not allowed to eat it. Now, I know today we look and we say, that's called roadkill. Why would you want to eat it? But you know that the only reason God put that in there was because there would be people who would eat it. Even in today's society, there would be people who would eat it. The reason you weren't allowed to wasn't because the food wouldn't necessarily be enjoyable, but it was because of the fact that you didn't know how that animal died. God was protecting his people. What if that animal had a disease? God was protecting his people. The laws that God put in place were for our benefit, not to keep us from enjoying life. And the things that Paul is adding here, he is recognizing these things, they carry consequences that you don't want to have to deal with. So what should you do? You should avoid sexual immorality. You should avoid impurity, lust, evil desires, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. What Paul is doing here is pointing out that the children of God ought to have desires that are completely different from the desires of our world. The things that we once looked to for satisfaction, we need to recognize they no longer provide it. But rather, it is God who provides satisfaction for our life. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians, on two occasions addresses this. In 1 Corinthians 6.12 and then again in 1 Corinthians 10.23, he says the same thing. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. In other words, I could probably justify doing this, this, and this, but it's dumb. Why would I do it? I am settling for second best. I am far better off doing things the way God desires for me to do it. It may be permissible, and others might say that it's okay, and others might tell you that this is something you'll really enjoy. But in Paul's words, not everything is beneficial. The point is that you could do the things you used to do, but that would be dumb. For you are a new creation. You should live like one. Let's skip down to the positive part of this. We looked at the negative, all the negative things that he tells us, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Look at the positive. These first few verses have all been what to avoid. What are we supposed to do? What are the things we should embrace? Look at beginning in verse 12 of Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have any, any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Boy, what a completely different image from the list of don'ts to the list of do's. These are horrible things. You don't want them a part of your life. Leave them behind. But here are the things that you should embrace. Here are the things that they should identify you. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Let me ask you, are you clothed with those things today? 
If an individual were to look at your life, would they see a heart that is filled with compassion? A heart that is filled with kindness? A heart that's filled with humility or gentleness or patience? Or they simply see someone who is angry. If they looked on your internet feed, your Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is that everybody's on. I'm on Facebook. I don't even know. The only reason why I have anything on Instagram is because I want to see what my kids do. Andrew, that means I know what you're doing on there. If people were to look at your social media feed, would they see compassion? Humility, kindness, gentleness, patience? Or would they see someone who is simply bitter because of all of the other things that are going on around you? you? Say, but I'm not doing the sexual immorality. I'm not doing the impurities. Those are things that I've chosen not to do. Awesome. I celebrate that with you. But these are the things you're supposed to clothe yourself with. Do we genuinely display these attributes in our daily lives. If we want to live for Christ, like Paul writes about, then rather than having people recognize us for what we are against, let's take time to show them what we are for. The five characteristics that are listed in this passage are a good place to start. We first are to be filled with compassion. I know that some of you are better at this than others, but we are all called to have compassion. The dictionary defines compassion as a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. While it's nice to experience sympathy and sorrow as we see others suffer, I love the fact that compassion also involves a desire to alleviate the suffering. It's not enough to feel bad for other people because of their circumstances. Are you willing to do anything in order to help alleviate the suffering? Then there's kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are all centered on the idea that someone had to show us these same things somewhere along the way. We're no better than anybody else, but God has shown us great kindness. He has been patient with us. And at times he has had to be direct with us, but more often he has chosen to be gentle. His goal is not merely to enforce his rules with us but rather to embrace us and to empower us for freedom so that we can live in victory, not just focusing on the thou shalt not, but this is what you should do. So he gently draws us away from sin so that we can walk in his victory. And he does that. And because of that, we experience true forgiveness. All of the things that we are called to clothe ourselves with are things that God invented in the first place. He gave them to us. He's the one who showed us what it was to have compassion, to have kindness, to have humility, to have gentleness, and to have patience. He's the one who offered forgiveness to us. So what is it that we are to stand for? Avoiding all the don'ts and doing all the do's is a good start, but it's not enough. 
You say, I, I don't do those, and I do do these things. It's not enough. The missing link is found in verse 14. It says this, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. What we must stand for is the love of Jesus Christ. Love is the action, the attitude, and the intention in serving others. It is putting them before ourselves. We don't express love when we point to the faults of others, ignorant of the faults in our own lives. You guys have all heard the biblical story of the man with the plank in his eye. He could see the speck in others' eyes, and he wanted so much to be able to help other people. And Jesus basically says, you cannot see the speck in another's eye because of the plank in your own eye. Often we are so focused on the shortcomings of other people. But maybe what we need to do is to begin to look, first of all, at our own hearts and see where maybe we need to change. We're in a season right now, the political season has already begun. It's been going on for a while. It's going to go on until the next election and then probably even beyond that. There's such turmoil within it. And we're all so focused on what needs to happen in everybody else and everything else. What needs to happen in me? We look at the situation that took place at New Spring last week. And it's easy to point the finger and try to say, well, I can't believe somebody would do something. I can't believe a church would take a stand like that. And it's easy to point fingers. But the reality is, if you're focused on everybody else's issue, you have a problem. Because each of us need grace as much as anybody else. That song, Grace Wins Every Time, for the prodigal, for the woman at the well, for the sinner on the street, Grace wins every time. Why are we so focused on judgment and wrath on others when we ourselves need his grace? It is time for us as the body of Christ to extend the love of Jesus Christ to those who are hurting around us. Does that mean we can't call on our world to live righteous and holy? Does that mean we can't pursue that righteousness and holiness for our nation You know what? I want our nation to be godly. I want whoever the next president is to be godly. I want everything about our nation to honor Jesus Christ. But if it does not begin in my heart, if it does not begin in me, who am I to point to the shortcomings and the failures of other people? I have no right. We are all individuals who have been redeemed by the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's act like it. Henry Nouwen, who is an author, I had to read several of his books in our master's program. He said this, when we are securely rooted in personal intimacy with the source of life, it will be possible to remain flexible without being relativistic. Convinced without being rigid, willing to confront without being offensive, gentle and forgiving without being soft, 
and true witnesses without being manipulative. Now, that's a long sentence. It's a run-on sentence. If I wrote it, I would have been punished for it on my grade. But I want you to listen to my translation of what he just said. When we truly love God, we will truly love other people. And only when we truly love God are we empowered with the potential to change the lives of others. Being true witnesses of Jesus Christ. I assume that everyone in here loves the Lord more than anything else. I hope that that is the case. But what I would suggest to you is that if you are more concerned with everyone else instead of making sure your heart is right, something is wrong. I began this morning by reflecting on a lesson that I learned from my youngest child this past week. Let me take you back to a lesson that I learned many years earlier by now my oldest son. Andrew was four years old. He probably gets embarrassed because I talk about him. He's okay. Andrew was four years old, just like Michael is today. I was standing out in the congregation. We were having a time of worship. I don't even know what the song was, but it was one of those songs where I knew the song, so I had my eyes closed. In my left arm, I was holding Andrew. Uh, I don't even know why. Uh, Typically, we had a nursery, children's church. He would have been out there. But for some reason, he was there with me. I was in the congregation. And I'm holding him in my arm with my eyes closed. We were singing a song, and I was worshiping. It could have been. I don't know. (laughs) I had my hand raised, and I was celebrating in worship. And as the song came to a close... I opened my eyes to find my little four-year-old son with his hand up. Actually, in his case, he had both hands up, worshiping the Lord. Now, I'll tell you, I'm not sure he fully understood what he saw or what he did as he worshiped that morning. But he was looking at his dad, and he wanted to do whatever his dad was doing. I wonder if kids were to look at our lives and they were to imitate us, would it cause them to worship the Lord Jesus Christ? It's a really good question. I began by asking this morning, what is it that we are teaching others? What are we teaching people, our kids or others around us? If people were to imitate us, what would they imitate We are to be pointing people to Jesus Christ. I want people to see me as a good pastor. I want people to see me as a good dad. But more than anything, I want to point people to Jesus Christ. That is my desire. When I was a kid, we would go. uh, We lived close to Arlington Cemetery, uh, close to Washington, D.C. And my mom had this infatuation with cemeteries. Uh, seems really strange to me, but there's also a sense of comfort with it. We would walk through the cemeteries, and uh, of course, the Arlington Cemetery, most of them are the crosses, and uh, most of them are the soldiers that have given their lives many, many years before, and it's a beautiful scene. We would go through some of the other cemeteries, and um, we would just read headstones. Um, There were a lot of things that people would put on their headstones. Often it would reflect things that they did in their lifetime. 
Um, sometimes it was something simple, and all it had was they were the husband of whomever, or the child of whomever, or the parents of whomever. Sometimes it would reflect other things about them. It might reflect the fact that they were good at certain things. I hope that I don't die for a long time to come. But I don't want you guys to put on my headstone anything about me being a great dad, even though I want to be that guy. I don't want to be known as a great husband. I don't want to be known as a great pastor. I want to be known as a child of God, one who led others to Jesus Christ. What is it that you will be known for? What will people learn from watching your life? Will they see you as one who has been transformed or will they see you as one who is just like you were before you said that magic prayer? Jesus Christ desires that we be transformed, but it begins in us. Will you allow that to take place? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we recognize that your love and grace are the only things that can satisfy us. You are the only one who is able to redeem us. And often we look in our world at all the the pain and the sorrow and the turmoil, all the, the things that are happening, and they seem overwhelming. But we recognize today that nothing is overwhelming to you. Nothing surprises you. Lord, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you have made it possible for us today to be able to celebrate in your salvation, to be able to celebrate the victory and the freedom that Jesus Christ has given to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk as those who have been redeemed by you. Work in our hearts. If there is sin, remove it. But we ask for your forgiveness. Wash away the sin that we have allowed to exist. Where there is hurt, Lord, no longer allow that hurt to identify us. Where there is political fighting, no longer allow us to be identified by those things. Lord, I pray that we would be identified by the Spirit of God alive within us. May you have your way in us. With every head bowed and eye closed this morning, perhaps you feel as though maybe God is speaking to your heart this morning. And maybe God is calling you once again to surrender everything. But I'm not talking about just your health needs. or I'm not talking about some of the the baggage that we bring. But I'm talking about the spiritual baggage that we bring. Maybe today you simply need to say, God, I need you to forgive me. And I want to be a reflection of you because I haven't been up until this point. If you would, just raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to be able to pray specifically for you. I see hands. Any others? Thank you. Father, I pray right now for those three individuals that just raised their hands. Fill them now with your spirit and allow them to be a reflection of you every moment of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.